And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Bertie Leonard. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Uh, big show today. A ton to get to. Uh, man, holy smokes. A ton of breaking news here today. I was joined by Aaron Bandler from Jewish Journal. It's always a good time talking to Aaron. Uh, we, we covered as much as we possibly could at a, in a short amount of time. Um, yeah. All right. So first, before I get to Aaron, before I get to anything else, I lost a bet over the weekend. I, I lost my fantasy football matchup this week. To uh, the horrible, the horrible uh, fake Jim Acosta, who you guys probably know on Twitter. Uh, his handle is at Journalismer. No, wait, Journalismator. Yeah, I believe it's Journalismator. Horrible Twitter handle, dude. Um, obviously, I won't give his real name because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he runs the parody account. But look, he beat me by literally 0.6 of one point, And so uh, I have to pay up. I lost the bet. He gets a shout-out. Everybody go follow the not-real Jim Acosta over on Twitter at journalism, Journalismator. Dude, wow, horrible Twitter. It's hard to say. Probably All right, I'll spell it out, too. J-O-U-R-N-A-I-L-I-S-M-A-T-O-R. Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's very funny. So, all right. I, I, uh, Leonard always pays his debts. I lost by less than a point. There you go. There's your shout-out. By the way, Mike Evans, the all-pro wide receiver, zero catches for zero yards. You couldn't give me one catch for seven yards so I could have beat this asshole? Come on. Mike Evans, looking at you, buddy. All right. Anyway, please follow us on Twitter, at NoGamingsPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to get involved, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash NoGamingsPodcast. Uh, you can support us monthly, and there's cool incentives if you choose to do so. Without further ado, here is my chat. With Aaron Bandler. All right, guys, we're here with my good friend Aaron Bandler from Jewish Journal. Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. So we have a ton to get to today. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I say that to start every single episode, but uh, today, even more than usual, it's a crazy news cycle, but. Let's start with this disgusting story coming out of the NBA first, man. Um, so for anybody that isn't aware, uh, the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, uh, I believe last week or something, tweeted uh, his support for the Hong Kong protesters and you know general support for you know democracy. Uh, and the, the Chinese communists got super butthurt about that. The NBA, oh my gosh, the NBA issued an evil, cowardly statement bowing down to the Chinese Communist Party saying that Daryl Morey's uh, tweets were regrettable and offensive, and then Morey took the tweets down, apologized to the communists. Man, Aaron, this is bad. This is this is really, really bad. A horrible, I mean, horrible yeah, for the NBA. It is, it is all, all kinds of horrific. And what's particularly galling about it is that um, is that Morey didn't even say anything bad about, about the Chinese government. He just, he, he just said, like, you know, hey, you know, I'm standing with the pro-freedom protesters in Hong Kong. So that's a pretty benign statement that I think that most people 
here in the U.S., regardless of your political affiliation, can agree on. Um, and but apparently, even even something that's benign and I guess indirectly critical of, of the Chinese government was too much for the for the Chicoms, as Rush Limbaugh likes to call them, uh, to handle and too much for the NBA to handle because they do business with China. And um, I guess the NBA, uh, those business dealings with China matter more than freedom of speech and, and you know the the real fight for freedom that, that, that the protesters in Hong Kong are fighting for. Um, so I think it highlights two issues. Um, one is that the NBA holds holds itself up as like this model of like woke progressivism, social justice warriors, you oh know that, that 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 and they. Claims to be like a role model for society to emulate, um, and but but yet when it but yet it all, it, this episode just comes to show, just goes to show that like when push comes to shove, they're not willing to actually take um, the proper steps necessary to actually show a backbone and fight for real freedom. Um, yeah, it's a lot easier to first right. signal. Right, you're you're absolutely yeah. right, and I want I want to get back to like the the broader implications here, but. <laughs> right. you, t- you touched on, <laughs> I mean, the the obvious, hilariously obvious point that the NBA prides itself on being woke. I mean, they they, they pride yeah. themselves on being social justice warriors. Like the NBA is a social justice warrior organization. <laughs> okay, they encourage their guys to speak out against Trump, against whatever you know the the Black Lives Matter stuff. You look at guys like LeBron James, guys like Steve Kerr. I mean, these people are constantly talking about politics, constantly talking about social justice. All the SJW issues, and then they turn around and appease the Chinese communists. I mean, like they, the, yeah. the Chinese Communist Party perpetrated the largest genocide in human history, somewhere between eighty, uh, somewhere between sixty and eighty million dead. I mean, they they literally killed more people than Genghis Khan. Okay, and right now they have over a million Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps. Okay, or re-education camps, where presumably they're trying to educate them out of being. Muslim, I suppose. Okay, that, that's currently happening. <laughs> they currently have a million people in concentra- concentration camps. So, like, man, I want to get back to the, the, the implications of this, but yeah, man, you're absolutely right. For an organization that prides itself on being woke, it's like, man, and the next time LeBron James bashes the president or Steve Kerr talks about Black Lives Matter or whatever, I'm just going to laugh. Because it is, it's laughable at this point. You cannot appease a oh, yeah. brutal communist I'm... regime and have any credibility. Oh yeah, they have zero credibility now. Um, it, it just goes to show that it's it's so much easier uh, to speak out against Trump or say we stand with the with the gay community, we stand with the black community, et cetera, et cetera. But when but when, but when push actually comes to shove, then it's a lot more difficult, and they clearly don't don't have the spine. So yeah, they have no credibility. Um, now I, now as for the broader implications um, that you talked about, that that was going to be my second point, which is that. Um, overall, we're seeing this disturbing trend of American of American corporations that are doing business are doing business with China, and it's it's I mean the NBA is bad enough for doing business with, with China and appeasing, and appeasing them like this, but there are other businesses that um, like tech companies that uh, conduct business with China, and as part of their agreement to do business with China, they're essentially giving the Chinese government backdoor access to like national security secrets and that's how china is able to steal our intellectual property um on a daily basis and i think that's very 
unpatriotic, to put it mildly, and it's a serious problem. And that's why, even though I'm generally not a fan of tariffs, I think Trump is right to use tariffs against China. It's I'm in favor of free trade, but not when it comes to the enemy. China is the enemy for reasons you, you stated earlier. Um, so, so I think what Trump is doing with the tariffs is actually right. The problem is that he can't make the case very well for them. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I'm a free trade absolutist, so I never, you know, I never want to see the American people taxed, and that's what a tariff is. But I don't know. I mean, right. maybe, maybe Trump is right. Like maybe we, we have seen some evidence that the tariffs are working, that uh, they're it's starting to break the Chinese economy. I, I, I'm no expert on China, so I'd have to defer to somebody else on that. But so, so I don't really know if Trump's right or wrong on that. But you know, it, it's it's crazy the influence. I, the, the disturbing thing to me, the thing, the troubling thing to me, is that the Chinese Communist Party is influencing American businesses. Okay, Daryl Morey, the Rock, the Houston Rockets are considering firing Daryl Morey over this to appease the Chinese. Okay, like the Chinese Communist crazy. Party might fire an American executive. Okay, like that—that's crazy. Like during the Cold War, you never saw American businesses kowtow to the USSR. Well, except for the press. I mean, the New York Times did because they love communism. But well, aside, yeah. <laughs> aside from the press, you didn't see American businesses bowing down to the Russians or the Soviets. You know, like, but you're seeing this. Like, this is unprecedented. Um, and 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 I, I don't know I, what what's going to happen. I mean, the fact that the Chinese communists are this rich and this powerful that they can affect the American economy, they can affect business decisions in America. I mean, that, that that's scary stuff, man. And this is to the point where it's beyond it, anything it's, we saw during it's, the Cold War. Oh, oh yeah, it's incredibly scary. And the thing is that this has, this has been happening for quite some time. I think people are just starting to realize now with with the NBA being, you know, his NBA is obviously such a you know huge part of American culture and society now. But when I was with the, with the Daily Wire, I remember running about something. Regarding how Hollywood, how China has a lot of money in Hollywood, and they influence um, Hollywood's decision making when it comes to movies. Um, and I think the best way to put it is that they don't like there. There are no movies that are critical of China, of the Chinese government. In fact, just in general, you see movies now. The, the bad guys, just in general, like back back in like the days of like the James Bond classic movies, the the villain, the villain was always like the Soviets, you know, or, or some sort of common government. Nowadays, the the villain is some evil corporate dude, you know, or some evil company, um, not not an authoritarian government. And I think China's money has had a has had a role to play in that. Um, but 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 there also have been decisions influenced by, by the Chinese government's money that have prevented Hollywood movies from, from specifically going after the Chinese government. Um, so it's, I'm, so yeah, it, it's bad, and it, it's, it's happening for, for quite some time. I'm starting to think, like I say, I'm no China policy expert. I'll, I'll have to get you know, somebody, I'll have to get Tyler Grant or somebody like that that really knows China policy um, and go yeah. d- dig deeper into all this, because you and I aren't, at, aren't necessarily experts on the topic, but I'm starting to think, Right. That Nixon shouldn't have gone to China. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe we yeah. shouldn't. Like it was believed, obviously, that that we needed to open China. We needed to ally ourselves in in some ways economically with 
China to put pressure on the Soviets. Man, the Soviets were a paper tiger. Like, the, the Russians were never as powerful, even at the height of the Cold War, as we thought they were, right? Or even if, as they thought they right. were. You know, I, I, I think that China was always the threat. There were always the geopolitical threat, the, the economic threat, the entire time, and they understood that, and they took advantage of us, knowing that our boogeyman at the time were, were the Soviets. Maybe we should have just kept our eyes on the Chinese because what, what, were, what were the Russians really going to do? I mean, they, their their Soviet-style communism was never going to work. Their their economy was, you know, was terrible. Right now, Russia. I mean, Russia's economy right now is smaller than the economy of the state of Texas. Okay, I mean, they're they're really no threat, and they basically yeah. stopped being a threat as soon as the Berlin Wall came down. I mean, they they fell apart rapidly. So, like, what, what do you think? I know I know we're not China experts, but I, I'm starting to think we shouldn't so, have ever opened China. Maybe Nixon was wrong. What do what do you think? Right. I mean, I, I so I, I, I do think Nixon was probably wrong in hindsight. I mean, I, I think that we should have kept at the time the Soviets were the big threat and Russia is still a threat now. Um, so I think we can walk and shoot them at the same time. Um, I think that instead of I can understand, I guess I can understand the strategy of trying to pit the Chinese against the, the Soviets. But I think given that opening relations with China helps embolden the, the communist government in the long run. Uh, clearly, it was a mistake. And I, I, I think the bigger issue at that time was Nixon's policy of, det- of detente against Russia, which was the idea of, well, we can't beat them, so we're going to make them dependent on us for trade. Um, and of course, that didn't work. And so Reagan uh, said, okay, well, I'm going to implement the policy of we win, they lose. And turned out we won and they lost um, because Reagan understood that, that, I mean, as you said, the, the Soviet economy was a paper tiger. And as soon as he put pressure on that economy, it collapsed. Right. And I just um, don't I don't think that a Reagan style policy with the Chinese now in 2019 would work. I think that cat is so far out of the bag. They're, they're, they're way too powerful militarily. Their, their economy is far too powerful. I, I don't think we can do that. Like, I don't think a, a we win, you lose policy towards China would even work. Like, maybe these tariffs will break them. Maybe it'll hurt their economy enough. Maybe these protests in Hong Kong will be effective and, and Chinese people will, will gravitate towards freedom. But that's, I mean, the Chinese people have never valued freedom, ever. I mean, going back a couple, few thousand years. So I, I just don't know. Like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know our way out of this, Aaron. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not too optimistic. Well, I, about, I mean, the... I, I, well, I, I think, well, well, the Chinese economy is powerful, but it, it, it is still relatively weak compared to ours. Um, I think our economy is at least double theirs. It might even be more like five or six times bigger. So, I mean, I think the tariffs are an important step because I think that economy is going to buckle and there are already signs of that happening. Um, but I, I think... More importantly, um, there has to, I mean, there has to be other measures to be taken, and I think one of those measures involves, um, arm, honestly, it involves allowing China's neighbors to nuke up uh, South Korea, Japan. Um, what I think if they were to nuke up, then that would, then that would really put China on notice because um, that would make them understand that's like, hey, you know, like because China wants regional hegemony um, first and foremost. I mean, they basically want to become a world superpower. Um, but the racial hegemony is their first sort of priority, and I think to have South Korea and um, and Japan nuke uh, to 
allowing them to arm themselves with nukes would um, put the Chinese regime on notice. Um, and I think I, there I, needs to... I absolutely, wholeheartedly agree. I, I completely agree with yeah. you. Uh, if, if my grandfather was still alive, he'd kill me for saying this because he served in the Pacific in World War II. But it is <laughs> enough time has passed. It is absolutely time to allow the Japanese to rebuild their military and to, to nuke up. Obviously, the South Koreans should have nukes. Uh, that's a no-brainer. I have no idea why we haven't allowed the South Koreans to have nukes. So I, I'm definitely with you there. Um, we'll see. And li- like you said with the tariffs, we'll see. I just don't know. Tariffs have rarely worked in the history of the world. They might work this time. I, I don't I don't know. I just don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. But I'm running out of time, so we got to move on to the next topic. And this is a big one, man. This is a big one. Uh, late last night... Um, actually, I must have went to bed early because I didn't see this till this morning, <laughs> but uh, I was all footballed out, man. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, the White House issued a statement late last night saying that the United States will be removing our military presence in Syria, which I'm like, all right, I'm with you, I think. I think I'm, I'm there. All right. It's an unconstitutional war. Congress never approved it. Obama did it anyway. I'm not big on us getting involved with other countries' civil wars, just as a general rule. So, all right, I'm with it. And then I kept reading the statement, so I was okay with that. But reading on, (laughs) the statement went on to say that we're allowing Turkey to invade Syria, and we won't be doing anything about that. So um, I'm okay with the first half, not okay with uh, letting Erdogan establish the second Ottoman Empire, which has been his goal the entire time. Uh, What do you make of this, man? Yeah, I think it's terrible. Um, I mean, I I think that... um I mean, there's really no side that can that's good in, in the Syrian civil war, ex- except for the Kurds. I mean, um, yeah. and I, I, I think I think yeah. the goal should be I think the goal should be establishing allowing the Kurds to have their own national state. Um, and I, I know that, but the key to all of that, of course, is throwing Turkey out of NATO, which should have happened long ago. But for for whatever reason, it, it people keeps Every administration seems to keep seems to keep peace in Turkey, and um, and isn't willing to grow to, to to grow the spine necessary to throw them out of NATO, and that unfortunately includes Trump. Um, and I mean, to get an idea of just how bad the West has been in peace in Turkey, I mean, there's a reason. The, the Turkey is the reason why the Armenian genocide is not internationally recognized. Yes, um, which is disgusting. Yes, yes. Um, and. So, but again, it comes on this, it's it's this sort of, I guess, for lack lack of a better word, a swamp mindset that Turkey is an ally because they're NATO. But it's like, well, actually, I mean, Erdogan has been a fascist dictator ever since he was elected in 2000, which he was elected, um, actually, he was actually elected as a minority party. I think he got in through a quirk, through an election quirk. um, And he's like slowly turned um, what was a secular nation into um, an Islamist country, right? Um, and and you can see it. I mean, not only is is rhetoric against Israel, which the other day he compared Israel to the Nazis um, for the treatment of uh, for, for for how they've handled the Gaza riots, which of course um, are these riots that have been orchestrated by Hamas. Um, so basically, Tur- Erdogan is calling Israel the Nazis for cracking down on actual Nazi terrorists. Um, it's just to give you an idea of, of what a scumbag this guy is. 
Um, and the thing is, is that one of the great myths is that like is that Erdogan is a get, is an ally in the fight against ISIS. He's not. I mean, not that uh, I, I wouldn't say he's allied with ISIS per se, but he doesn't. He's he lets them operate in Turkey's borders, um, as he as he does with Hamas, because at the end of the day, his goal is is the Islamic Caliphate, which is what ISIS ISIS and Hamas want too. Um, I think he wants to run the Caliphate, which puts him at odds with um, ISIS. But um, the fact is that ISIS helps him as a means to an end to help him achieve that goal. So by allowing him to start taking control of Syria, it, it, it will allow ISIS to return, which is all kinds of awful. And it goes against Trump's uh, one of Trump's key re-election point, campaign points, which is that he... he is a key reason why ISIS has been defeated. Um, but look, the Kurds have also been historically a U.S. ally, and it is wrong to abandon them like this and let them basically be slaughtered. Yeah, there, so, so. There's, a, there's a lot of good points there, and I want to kind of go point by point. Because this is an extremely, yeah. Syria is an extremely complicated situation, and there's a lot of nuance there. And uh, obviously, political punditry in 2019 in America, there's no, I mean, nuance yeah. is illegal, I'm pretty sure. I mean, we might actually be arrested um, for for having nuanced opinions on Syria, I don't think that's allowed uh, yeah. anymore. Um, there's a lot of armchair yeah. generals. Careful, man. <laughs> yeah. Careful, man. The, the, the deep state is probably uh, listening into this. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, look. Like you said, there are no good guys in the Syrian civil war. Not even the Kurds. And here, here's the thing: a lot of people on Twitter don't even realize that the Iraqi Kurds and the Syrian Kurds are two two completely separate entities. Right. Like the Iraqi Kurds are our our staunch allies and have been for decades. The Syrian Kurds are absolutely our allies against Al Qaeda and ISIS, but they're they're actual communists. They're they're Marxists. So I mean, in the Syrian civil war there's ISIS, who's obviously ISIS, there's the Syrian Kurds who are communists, there's the Free Syrian Army who half of them are actually rebels just rebelling against uh, the oppression of, of Bashir al Assad. The other half are basically offshoots of Al Qaeda that came in from Iraq. So, like the the people who we've been funding, funding and arming, there's a lot of terrorists, jihadis in that group as well. And then there's obviously Assad, who's a brutal dictator. So it's like that's why I did not want to get involved in the Syrian civil war. One, Obama did not have the constitutional authority to do so. But even if he did, I think it would have been a mistake. You're going to back the commies, the the dictator. Or the jihadis. I mean, it's like, what? Like, can they all lose? Like, it would be terrific if they could all lose that civil war. I mean, they're all a bunch of monsters. But on Twitter today, I'm sure you noticed this, half of my timeline transformed into John McCain, and the other half transformed into Ron Paul. Okay, why? I can't, can we split the difference? Can we shoot somewhere in the middle? Because they're both wrong, okay? Just like letting Erdogan establish the second coming of the Ottoman Empire is evil, and we should not let that happen. Getting involved in the Syrian civil war and, you know, going full-on Lindsey Graham and saying we should bomb every Muslim country, that's also evil. I just don't want to be evil, man. I just, I, I'm tired of our government being consistently wrong on the, on the Middle East over and over and over. Okay? I think Trump is wrong by empowering Turkey uh, to, to do what they want to do, obviously. And I think it was wrong to get involved in the Syrian civil war under the Obama administration. Like, can't we just... Somewhere in the middle... Like, they're both wrong. Both of those are wrong. Why can't... Why do we keep making these mistakes? Can't we just split the difference? Can we not fight somebody else's civil war? And can we not allow Erdogan to take... This is 2019. 
Civilized countries, NATO countries, do not fight wars of conquest. Okay, like when we invaded Afghanistan, it was to kill bin Laden. We didn't turn Afghanistan into the 51st state. Okay, like Turkey is just wants more land. Like they want to invade Syria and take that land and make it a part of Turkey. That's what they want. Civilized nations don't fight wars of conquest in 2019. So that's obviously wrong. So it's like, what? I, I'm so tired of being cons- tired of our government being consistently wrong on the Middle East. I wish we could split the difference between two opinions. And I'm tired of seeing these pundits on both sides either go full John McCain or full Ron Paul. Like, I, I, we need some nuance when we're discussing the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, there is. I mean, I, I think the there's sort of a third way foreign policy that's been forgotten, which is really the true conservative foreign policy um, stance, which is basically one of prudence and and kind of taking things on a case by case basis and say, okay, how how does this advance American interests? Um, I think that when the Syrian civil war first broke out, you could argue that if Assad had taken that right away, then maybe the more moderate rebels would have would have taken power. Um, but I think the bigger issue, though, is that I mean, well, of course, now it's a lot more complicated because you know one side is Assad and the other side is ISIS. There are some moderate fighters, obviously, but I mean, unfortunately, the Arab Spring showed that, and and, and Iran has showed that when these dictatorships fall. Um, sometimes an even worse one can rise up out of it. Um, and of course, Assad's pretty as and Assad's, and Assad is, is as bad as it gets. Um, I mean, the, the the dude commits genocide against his own people on a daily basis, and he's allied with Iran, um, which is also a genocidal regime. And he's allied with Russia, which is a regime that is a fascist regime that also empowers genocidal regimes across the globe. Um, so I think the bigger issue with the serious civil war is that. Um, it, it's really Iran because the series of a war has become sort of Iran's way of uh, of, of um, Im- embedding its tentacles into, into throughout the Middle East, and it's using Syria a- as a way to establish bases for Hezbollah um, to launch rockets into Israel, um, and that is a very serious problem, <laughs> um, and that is another issue that would arise from, from America. Just just leaving um, w- w- without much of a without much of a plan to um, you know to to that much of a plan to try and buffer Iran's efforts there. So I I think unfortunately I think that the biggest problem was that under Obama he allowed Iran to take control of the Middle East. He allowed Russia to take control of the Middle East. And I think had he had, had he done more to really crack down on, on both of those countries. Then the Second Civil War, what it really could, it really could be sort of something that we could say out of. Um, but because he didn't, it's not quite so easy anymore. And so I think that Trump needs to keep the eye on the ball in regards to Iran and Russia, especially Iran. Um, he needs to keep it up. The, the sanctions on Iran have been excellent, and I think they are working. Um, I hope he doesn't buckle and meet with the Iranian president. Um, and despite the conspiracy theories from the left saying that the uh, saying that Trump loves him some Putin, um, Trump's the Trump's policies against Russia have actually been very good and better than Obama's, and he needs to keep it up there too. Um, and I think that if those if though if if he can succeed on those two fronts, then maybe then maybe we could talk about a scenario where um, we can really truly withdraw from the Syrian civil war. But until those things happen. Um, I think right now there's no real like solution 
you know, because there are no good options right now. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there aren't really any good options, and it's a lot more nuanced than anybody would like to admit yeah. generally. Uh, I'll play devil's advocate real quick, just on the non-interventionist side. I, obviously, the first point, elections do have consequences. Trump campaigned on pulling our troops out of Syria. I mean, he's been talking about this since 2015. So the, the shock and awe that he's going through with it is a little strange. It's like, okay, whether you agree or disagree, he's been talking about this for years. And then, look, there will be a day where we need to change our, 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 our views on foreign policy. We've had basically one foreign policy for 25 years. And there's been, you know, deviations a little bit, like, you know, pull some troops out, send some troops back. You know, we, the arguments has been basically around troop levels in all these countries. So I'm, I'm not saying the time is now because we need to stop Erdogan from accomplishing his goal and of, you know, establishing an Islamic caliphate with him as the head. Um, so I don't think allowing Turkey to invade Syria is the right call. I obviously don't. But there will be, whether it's now or later, there will be a time where we have to try something different. Okay, like we've been tr- doing the same thing over and over for 25 years, both political parties. You know, nothing's really changed that much. So there will be a day where we need to try something different. And I, I don't know. I mean, what, what we've been doing on kind of on both sides hasn't been working. I mean, the George Bush foreign policy failed. The Obama foreign policy failed. You know, so it's I, I don't know, man. Like, we can't keep shooting ourselves in the foot over and over. Like, there will be a day that we need to try something different for better or for worse. I, I obviously with Turkey positioned how it is, I, I I struggle to see how that day is today, but that day will come. Yeah, it'll come at some point, but again, it, we can't really think that far ahead until. Iran, Russia, and Turkey are really dealt with. Um, I mean, honestly, with Turkey, I don't even know how to even go about that because I, I mean, I'll say just starting. I think the way to start is, is to throw them out of NATO. Yeah, of course. I mean, that, um, that should, that should have happened. That should have happened ten years ago, at least ten years ago. Yeah, it's uh, at ridiculous least. Yeah, that this, at least ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, Erdogan is a, a an authoritarian jihadi dictator. Okay, he has no place in NATO, obviously. Yeah. Especially consider that NATO, I mean, NATO, the way NATO works is that a lot of these countries share intelligence secrets with each other, which means that Turkey is sort of in on our intelligence secrets. That's a problem, given that he's allied with all these Islamic terror groups. So, um, And the Russians. Yeah, I mean, and, and the know, Russians. If everybody's so concerned and Iran, about and, and, and Iran, you're right. I mean, like, yeah. you know, everybody's talking about how Russia's the big bad monster still. I mean, he's... Erdogan is buying arms from the Russians. I mean, he has a very close relationship with Putin, so it's it obviously has no place in NATO. All right, Aaron, I gotta let you go. I'm out of time. Uh, we we should probably spend another four hours or so on these two topics because there's a ton to break down. That yeah. we can get to, but um, everybody follow. Yeah, there Aaron. really is. Everybody follow Aaron at Bandler's Banter. Uh, everybody check out his work over at uh, at uh, Jewish Journal. He's one of the best conservative writers out there. It's excellent stuff. Oh, um, thanks. And I'm sure we'll we'll be talking to you soon. You always come on every couple months, so I'm sure you'll be hearing from Aaron very soon. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. Hopefully, I have some uh, cheerier subjects to talk about on Wednesday. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Um.